Father, we are going to uh, look at this last section, which really is a combination of two things. It is a closer look at what the investigative judgment looks like, not in heaven, but in our daily lives. What does it look like in a practical sense? And in doing so, Father, we're going to come to understand why you haven't returned. Lord, you have blessed me over the years with so many illustrations. I don't know where to put them or which ones to draw from. So I am requesting, Father, that you will bring them to my mind. And I thank you for that. Lord, we, we just ask that you will present around this room a ring of fire of angels, that you'll keep out every distraction. And again, just shut us into your presence so that we can hear you speaking to us. This is the message of the hour. Rebuke the evil one, Father. He's always annoying and pestering us. Keep him away from us so that we can hear Jesus clearly. Lord, you know that I am feeble and I don't always use the, the, the right words. I pray, Father, that, that you will use my, my pitiful uh, language and even limited understanding to communicate into the heart and mind of each one what you want them to hear and understand. And may they hear Jesus. Thank you again for this, and I ask it all in Christ's precious name. Amen. <clears throat> Once again, let's take a look at our introductory paragraph to set the stage for our last presentation. October 22, 1844, marked the beginning of the first phase of the judgment and the beginning of the final work of Jesus in the heavenly sanctuary prior to his return to earth. Jesus needs the attention of his expectant people to be focused on the activities centered in the most holy place. And activities must have a corresponding effect upon God's waiting people upon the earth. God's people are being made ready. They're being made what? ready for earth's final crisis and its soon return. You know, we're living in a time, I'm going to pause right there, keep your finger there. We're living in a time that now those who, are un, who know not God are saying we're on the verge of a monumental crisis. We don't have to convince anyone anymore of that. We're at the end of this thing. This thing is about to burst upon us. And in, and in 2000, in eight, in September, God allowed that to take place to alert us to the fact that time is almost up. Are you with me? This thing is about to wrap up, but God is deeply concerned for his people. They're not ready. He needs them to be. Thus the Lord established his throne for judgment. And for the righteous, this means protection, discipline, cleansing, and vindication. It is the most intimate aspect of God's relationship with us and therefore the most rewarding. Let us take a closer look at what God will do for us in the investigative judgment. Number one, what is the ultimate goal for his people? Christ, uh, Great Controversy 44, Christ will clothe his faithful ones with his own righteousness. By the way, let me pause right there. Do you realize that God will not accept any other? We, there is no other to offer. It's fantasy. The only righteousness that the Father will accept is the righteousness of His Son. So there's no sense in bringing Him anything else. Christ, 
will clothe his faithful ones with his own righteousness, that he may present them to his Father, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing. Their names stand enrolled in the book of life, and concerning them it is written, they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. And so this is talking about total victory. It's talking about bringing the church, his people, to total victory. You know, when we talk about the parable of the ten virgins, you recall, you know, I'm not going to break that all down, but you do realize, of course, that that's about us. Christ's object lessons, if you want to you break that down. The ten virgins is us. How do we know? Because they're virgins. It's the pure church. Their doctrine is correct. It's not adultery. That's us. And yet half the group was saved and the other group was lost. The group that was saved was called wise. The other, foolish. All of them were members of the right church. They all had the right doctrine. But one had an experience, the other did not uh, attain to it. They didn't go after it. It's interesting, all of them had oil in their lamps, but they needed the oil somewhere else, in their vessels. What was in here had to make its way into here. It's very interesting to me, if you turn to Daniel, the book of Daniel, the Daniel chapter 12, of course, begins with the close of probation. This is the end, the end of the incredible book, the book of Daniel. The Lord is my judge. The book of Daniel is the book of judgment. <clears throat> Let's take a look at verse, Janet 12, verse 9. The angel speaking to Daniel, and he says to him, and he said, go your way, Dan wait, let me wait for you all there. I'm hearing the pages turn. That's a delightful sound. And he said, go your way, Daniel, for the words are closed up and sealed to the time of the end. We know they're there, we're there because the books are open to us. Ten, many will be purified, made white and refined, but the wicked shall do wickedly. And none of the wicked shall understand, but the will understand. The wise were locked in to what Jesus is doing in the most holy place to prepare them. They were spending time with Jesus because they knew it was the only way that they could be changed. They couldn't do it any other way. Coming to Jesus is where the power was found for a victorious life. Very interesting, by the way. Let's back up and take a look at verse 3 of Daniel 12. Those who are what? Wise shall shine like the brightness of the firmament, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. This becomes the passion of those in the end. By the way, my brother, okay? I, I, no, no, stay right where you're, at, where you're at. I asked you to share a reference. Spirit of Prophecy mentions what will be the consuming topic of those who are getting ready for the second coming. And here's the quote. Uh, this is from Sons and Daughters of God, chapter 253. Sons and Daughters of God, chapter 253. God fills us with his love. God fills us with his love. That's what it's going to be, how to be made like Jesus. That becomes the, it's amazing. Once you lock in on that and you start going through the scriptures, it's everywhere. It's all there. Let's continue. Number two, Jesus will do this work in the lives of those who what? Who what? Who want it. Malachi 3, 1 through 3. Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. 
And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to the temple. Where is that temple located? In heaven. Even the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming and who can stand when he appears? For he is like the refiner's fire and like the launderer's soap. He will sit as a refiner and in the purifier of silver. He will purify the sons of Levi and purge them as gold and silver that they may offer to the Lord an offering in what? In righteousness. We're talking about a living sacrifice. And you know the illustration has been around so long that when the purifier silver or gold is purifying, he's turning up the heat and, he's, and as the dross comes to the surface, he wipes it out and keeps turning up the heat. And when is it that the, that the purifier knows the word, the, that the gold and the silver is pure? When? He can see his face. When he can see his reflection in it. Have you ever felt those fires? Yes. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. A living sacrifice. Number three, the process involves a cooperative investigation. David came to understand this. And I don't know if it was a result of his sin with Bathsheba, but David came to understand the sanctuary and he embraced the, the judgment message by faith. And he says here, Vindicate me, O Lord, for I have walked in my integrity. I have also trusted in the Lord. I shall not slip. Examine me, O Lord. Prove me. Try my mind and my heart. For your loving kindness is before my eyes, and I have walked in your truth. David had a course adjustment. Focusing on the Lord, he knew something about himself. He had to ask God to examine him. Take a look at the next one. Number four. The righteous call for this investigation because they have come to understand that they are blind to their own sinful condition and the need and need the help of Jesus, not only for healing, but also for what? Diagnosis. Psalms 19.12, who can understand his errors? Cleanse me from what kind of faults? Very interesting. When I was, uh, my sister and I love my sister, um, we're very close, well, in heart. She lives on one coast, and for the most part, I've lived on the other, but we call each other frequently. And, um, when we were growing up, um, I would talk. My sister can tell me stuff that other people can't. You have somebody like that in your life that can just eyeball you and just lay it out and you not be offended? My sister is one of those people for me. And one day we were talking and she shared something that I was doing evidently that was really annoying her. And um, I don't remember what it was. But I remember standing there in the doorway of her room when she said that and I thought about it and I couldn't see it. So guess what? It didn't exist. You ever been that way? It didn't exist. I couldn't see it. So I got in the car, and I was just beginning my walk with Christ. And I got my car. I was driving over to see my grandmother driving, and her words just kept echoing in my mind over and over and over. And as I was driving, I said, why can't I get this out of my head? And I said, Lord, is that you? I said, it's, it's not true. It's, that's what she said wasn't true. Kept echoing. Finally I said, Lord, if it's true, reveal it to me. Friend, that week wasn't out. When the Lord showed me it was, I learned something that day. I learned I can be blind to my own stuff while others can see it clearly. I've learned to be very careful when somebody comes to say something about me to dismiss it because it may just be the Holy Spirit knocking on my door. And so in this cry, 
David is echoing the reality that we don't know our own stuff and we need one. You know, Daniel 2 reminds us that God is the revealer of secrets. He is the revealer. And we can ask him to show us those things in our lives. Psalms 139, 23 and 24, again the cry, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties and see if there is any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. That's an honest prayer, friends. That is, that is a call for judgment that is asking God to rid those things in my life that are dishonoring him and hurting others. Don't you want to get rid of those things? I do. 1 Corinthians 4, 4 and 5. For, and I love these words from Paul. For I know nothing against myself. That's what I was saying. Yet I am not justified by this. But he who judges me is the Lord. Therefore judge nothing before the time until the Lord comes, who will both bring to light the hidden things in darkness and reveal the counsels of the heart. And so we're not to enter in that judgment of others, but certainly of ourselves. So, why is it important for that last generation to get rid of this sin issue? Why? Why does it have to happen before the second coming of Jesus? There are well-meaning people out there who are saying, no, we're going to sin up to the second coming. Are you sure? I, I believe, actually, that there will be people that will be sinning up to the second coming, but they're going to be lost. Watch why this issue. See, the sanctuary reveals why. Great Controversy 425. Those who are living upon the earth when the intercession of Christ shall cease in the sanctuary above are to stand in the sight of a holy God without a mediator. Their robes must be spotless. Their characters must be purified from sin by the blood of sprinkling. Through the grace of God and their own diligent effort, they must be conquerors in the battle with evil. While the investigative judgment is going forward in heaven, while the sins of the penitent believers are being removed from the sanctuary, there is to be a special work of purification, of putting away of sin among God's people upon the earth. I want to challenge you with something. Can one of you, have brought, somebody here brought a gizmos. Can you get to me Great Controversy, page 625? I want to read that from up here. Great Controversy, page 625. By the way, while somebody is getting that for me, I want to challenge you to look at the rest of that chapter on, uh, or page 425 I just read to you. Read that whole chapter to understand why. I want you to read this next one. You got it? All right. Oh, okay. I'm over 40. Oh, my. Uh, 625. Great controversy. I'm sorry, 623. Okay, 623. Watch. Now, while our great high priest is making the atonement for us, we should seek to become what? Perfect in Christ. Not even by a thought could our Savior be brought to yield to the power of temptation. Satan finds in human hearts some point where he can gain a foothold. Some sinful desire is cherished. That's the problem. By means of which his temptations assert their power. But Christ declared of himself, the prince of this world cometh and hath nothing in me. Satan can find nothing in the Son of God that will enable him to gain the victory. He had kept his father's commandments, and there was no sin in him that Satan could use to his advantage. 
Look at the next sentence. This is the condition in which those must be found who will stand in a time of trouble. Not even by a thought. It is in this life that we're to separate sin from us. Through faith in the atoning blood of Christ, our precious Savior invites us to join ourselves to Him, to unite our weakness to His strength, our ignorance to His wisdom, our unworthiness to His merits. God's providences is the school in which we learn the meekness and lowliness of Jesus. The Lord is ever setting before us not the way we would choose, which seems easier and pleasanter to us, but the true aims of life. It rests with us to cooperate with the agencies which heaven employs in the work of conforming our characters to the divine model. None can neglect nor defer this work, but at the most fearful peril to their own souls. Now, if you want to read, thank you, my brother, if you want to read about those who are going to keep sinning after the second coming, you will find them on page 620. And it's frightful, but you'll find them there. Now, not even by a thought. I remember the first time I saw that, I was terrified because there was not a way in the world that God could save me. But you know, friends, I got to look away from self and look to Jesus. My Bible tells me that he who began a good work on you is faithful to complete it. He is. But the thing is that we're have to, going to have to be willing to surrender to what? The process. Remember, my friends, that people who were crucified did not crucify themselves. They only yielded to the process. Are you with me? We go to the Lord and we say, Lord, make me this way. And then Jesus, I can just see him on one knee looking us in the eye and saying, my child, I can do it. Will you trust me? Will you trust me? You know, it's interesting to me as we talk about this, because I, as I look at you, I don't know, I, I just remember how I felt, and there may be somebody in here that sees that and, and pretty well is throwing up the white flag. By the way, that's good if you're giving up on yourself. But don't give up on Jesus. Jesus can do it. I can't do it. Good. I'm glad you've reached that conclusion. But Jesus can. Um, but it's very interesting. You know, if you look at wheat... You know, if you're going to get anything good out of the wheat, you've got to separate it from the chaff. Do you realize that the wheat cannot separate itself from the chaff? It needs a source outside of itself to do that. You ever seen the process? You'll see those in the threshing floor with sticks beating that wheat. Sometimes they had horses walk over to separate it from there. Are you with me? It was a hard process to separate. But it was the only way for the wheat to be separated from the chaff. You know, us in America, we want easy lives. That will be fatal to us. I believe that the time of trouble that is coming is going to be a blessing. It's going to be a blessing. We are not accustomizing, our, we have not accustomed ourselves to privation. And we, we need to ask Jesus to help us in the process of surrender. Anyway, did you know that the mountain where... Abraham offered his son, was called Mount Moriah. Later, Jerusalem was built there. But before Jerusalem, there was a city that was placed. Before it was called Jerusalem, it was called something else. It began with a G. Does anyone remember? I can't remember, but that word means the place of thrashing. Do you remember when David uh, went ahead and, and numbered Israel? You remember the angel that was standing and he saw the judgment and he ran to a hill? Do you remember where he went? Do you remember where he went? What, who's, it was a thrashing floor. Was it Omar? I can't remember now. 
on our threshing floor is where he went. Do you remember later what was built on that threshing floor? The temple. And which part of the temple stood right over it? The most holy. The place of judgment. The separating. The difficulties in our lives are a blessing, and I'm going to talk a little bit more about that. So, what we're finding here is that before Jesus comes, that his mediatory work is going to end. Look at the note right below that. The putting away of sin is another way of saying no longer giving into it. It means living above its power through the ministry of our great high priest. Here we also find the reason why Jesus has not returned yet for his people. Take a look at number six. Why has Jesus not returned before now? Pamphlet 145. Christ is what? Wait a second. I thought we were. Christ is. Christ is waiting with longing desire for the manifestation of himself in his church. When the character of the Savior shall be perfectly reproduced in his people, then he will come to claim his own. It is the privilege of every Christian not only to look for, but to hasten the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Were all who profess his name bearing fruit to his glory, how quickly the whole world would be sown with the seed of the gospel. Quickly the last great harvest would be ripened and Christ would come. We are the holdup. Now, watch this. Christ is waiting. If Christ leaves now, he loses many he could have saved. You see, as we ask God to forgive us our sins and our sins are transferred to Jesus and the sins are then transferred to the sanctuary, as long as we're asking God to help us, Jesus continues to work for us. Jesus won't leave as long as you need him there. Does that fill you with hope? What does that mean? That means, dear friend, if the whole world was ready and there was just one left, he would hold everything up until he finally brought that one over the line and sealed for one. He will not bring an end to this until the last one comes over the line. He will not do it. But when God's people have victory over sin, are they continually asking for forgiveness? Is there need for mediation for them? Are, are there others not asking for it? They're not. So what happens is the wicked are not asking for victory and the righteous have achieved it. So what is left for Christ to do? He's out of business. Does this make sense? The sanctuary explains it. When we understand how it works, the sanctuary explains the reason for the delay in the second coming. That is the reason. Let's look in the note below that. This is the reason why Jesus has not returned. He is waiting. His waiting is an act of mercy. For him to return before his people are ready would be fatal to them. So he waits. He waits for his people to believe him and cooperate with him so he can finish the work he's begun in them. When this work is done, he will come to claim them as his own. Jesus will finally leave the most holy place when there is no, ding, when there is no longer a need for his mediatorial work. But now the next question is this. What is it costing him to wait? Helen White tells us in the book Education, 
page 263. Those who think of the result of hastening or hindering the gospel think of it in relation to themselves and to the world. Few think of its relation to God. Few give thought to the suffering that sin has caused our Creator. All heaven suffered in Christ's agony, but that suffering did not begin or end with his manifestation in humanity. The cross is a revelation to our dull senses of the pain that from its very inception sin has brought to the heart of God. Every, hang on this, remember Ellen White does not exaggerate. Every departure from the right, every deed of cruelty, every failure of humanity to reach his ideal brings grief to him. Have you ever experienced grief? I didn't say sadness. Grief. Have you ever stood by the casket of a loved one? Jesus experienced grief. You know, have you ever stopped to think about this? Is God all-knowing? Is the Holy Spirit, can he be everywhere? Is God all-powerful? Can God... Now, can God read all our thoughts? Yes. Can God feel everything we feel? Yes. When you look at what's happening in the world, I wonder just today how many rapes there were. Just today in the world, I wonder how many children were sexually molested. Just today in the world, how many, I wonder how many ch parents buried their child. How many children buried their parents? Around the world, there are people groups that are experiencing genocide, and God is feeling it all. Could this be what he meant when he said, as you did it to the least of these, you've done it unto me, even when we relieve the suffering of someone else? At night, when I lay my bed and my, my head on my warm pillow, I think about the fact that there is an all-loving God who is feeling it all. I go to bed. I don't want to keep doing this to him. I don't want him to wait on account of me. I want him to finish that work in my life. I don't want to add to the pain that he's already experiencing. I don't. And yet, he waits. He waits for us. Let's not make him wait any longer. What do you say? The loud cry message is when we go out and share this message with a dying world, friends. That's it. No more mystery. Listen to me. I'm sorry. I'm not going to be tactful. There's a lot of new versions of the loud cry message that's going on out there right now, and it's a smokescreen. Ellen White said that when we start seeing the faults, it's the evidence that the true is about to begin. Of the false version of the loud cry. I can mention some groups right now that are saying, no, no, this is the loud cry message. No, that's the loud cry. No, dear friends, the loud cry message is righteousness by faith, that God has found an answer to the sin problem, that we have a high priest who is ready to finish the work he has begun in your life and mine. We've got to let the world see Christ, not only hear it, but they've got to see it in our lives. That is the loud cry, dear friends, when we finally get up and do this in earnest. 
So how do we cooperate with God in this work? First, we must understand, I'm continuing to read, and believe that God wants to deal with the sin in our lives. He wants to deal with it on three levels. The first is the level of outward behavior. The second is the level of our thoughts. And the third is the level of unknown or ignorant sin. We're looking here, what we're looking at here is total victory over sin. Number eight, for what purpose? By the way, we have to understand that removal is a process. You remember, those of you who are parents, those of you who aren't, but have seen babies, you know when the babies learn to walk, they do a lot of what? They do a lot of falling while they're learning to what? To walk. Have you ever seen a parent say, what are you doing? What's wrong with you? You're embarrassing me in front of all these people. Will you please get it together? Do we see parents do that? Or do instead do parents say, nice try. Let's try again. You see, when we're learning to walk with Jesus, yes, there are going to be times that we stumble and fall. But the goal is to get up and to keep walking. The idea is to learn to walk. And when we blow it, we don't have a God leaning over us, chastising us in anger. But in pity, understanding our weakness, saying, that was a great effort. Okay, let's wipe the tears. Let's try again tomorrow. It's okay. We'll try again. And don't give up on Jesus. Don't give up on Jesus. And then what's really amazing is that as we do that, once we begin to walk in certain areas of our life, he's going to show us another area that we need to learn to walk in. Are you with me? And it's a continual process. It, we, we, you know, it's the amazing thing, and I shared this, is that there will never come a point in our lives that we feel we've arrived. When we do that, we have looked to self. Remember that Laodicea is rich, increasing good, in need of nothing. But as long as we're looking to Jesus, we're always going to be aware of our own unworthiness. Amen? Always. But the goal is to learn to walk. Number eight, for what purpose does God want to deal with sin in its totality, Ephesians 5.27, that he might present to himself a glorious church. And I'm repeating this text again. Not having spot. These are sanctuary terminology for sin or wrinkle. Now look, if those two things don't cover it, the next one does. Or any such thing. But that she should be holy and without what? Blemish. This is why Jesus came to do for us what we couldn't do for ourselves, to reinstore in us the lost image of God in each one of us. Youth Instructor, 1899. But Christ was to bear the penalty of the transgression of the law of God, not to give men liberty to continue in sin, but to take away, look at this, it's amazing, their inclination to sin that they might not desire to transgress the spirit of obedience. Wait, the transgress. Those who receive Christ are obedient to his commands, for his mind is given to them. He imbues them with the, his spirit of obedience, and they return to their loyalty. The way to get that mind of Christ is by spending time with Christ. Have you ever had a friend that you knew so well that you just about knew the next thing they were going to say? I have. It's a weird experience. But it's the truth. And as we spend time with Jesus, by beholding, we become changed. We begin to see things the way he does. And like my son, when, I, when, I, when, when he thought that what he did when he came, was causing me pain, 
He saw what he was doing in a new light and it lost its hold upon him and he let it go. Like the boy who realized that his sin habit of of stowing away cost the captain his life, got victory over stowing away. Because when you love someone, you don't want to hurt them. You don't want to. Volume 3, Testimonies, 538. It may take time. Are you there with me? It may take time to attain perfect submission to God's will, but we can never stop short of it and be fitted for heaven. That's why this idea that we're going to keep sinning, do you realize that what we're saying is that God cannot be obeyed? Does that sound familiar? That was Lucifer's argument in heaven. How are we going to take up that argument now against our Creator? There's no way we can do that. We can't do that for him, to him. No way. By the way, here's another thing too. I run into people. You know, with Adventists, you mention perfection and they lead, sometimes they'll leave skid marks. Let me give you a very simple definition of it, okay? You ready? It is a moment-by-moment surrender to the revealed will of God. You know, when about two amens out of that? Maybe you all understood this already. But let me ask, let me... How can I do this? <clears throat> Remember, I, I'm from the city, so this may not come out right. This is a seed. Okay? Here's the plant. It sprung up, and uh, now it's growing. And this is the corn. I want to ask you a question. At what point have we achieved perfection? Every stage. If that's where you are in your development, if you're yielding to Jesus along the way, are you with me? When people come to me, I always ask them first, will you please give me your definition of perfection? And they're like, they don't know where they come up with some unusual things. It's a moment-by-moment moment surrender to the revealed will of God. Is it counted as sin against us if we don't know it's sin? No. It isn't. It may take time to attain perfect submission to God's will, but we can never stop short of it and be fitted for heaven. True religion will lead its possessor on to perfection, the continual growth process. Your thoughts, your words, and your actions, as well as your appetites and passions, must be brought into subjection to the will of God. You must bear fruit into holiness. You know, I want to share something right here. This is a little personal. I grew up in an environment that there was a great deal of violence, not only in my neighborhood, but in my home. And as a child, uh, the only way to escape, you know, there wasn't drugs when you're a kid. I mean, I guess today they are getting into that. But the way that I did as a child is I escaped into my imagination. I can tune out the world, man. I can, the whole day could pass. I am not even exaggerating. If you touched me when I was in one of those states, you'd scare me half to death because I was gone. That's how I dealt with it. And uh, I would watch movies, and then I'd replay them in my mind, and I'd put myself in the characters in an, in an effort to, uh, to deal with the pain because I had no other way to deal with it. Now, as a child, that works okay, 
People around you may just say, oh, he's daydreaming again and may not know what's going on. But when you become an adult, you can't live like that. Your coping mechanisms as a child don't work well as an adult. It begins to cause problems. And, and it began to cause them for me. And when I began to read in the spirit of prophecy that we're to bring our thoughts under control, I was stricken with terror because I could not control my thoughts. My thoughts were all over the place. I couldn't. But you know, friends, I had nowhere else to go. I lived the life of a sinner. I, could I would never want to go back to that. I was telling my class before I left to come here, we were, we're going through the book Steps to Christ together, and I encourage you to do this. But I said to them, you know, gang, in the end, if I were to be lost, I would still serve Jesus. Because I have more joy and peace in my life than I have ever known serving him. He's kind and he's fair. And so I, I just went to Jesus one day in my despair, and I said, look, this thing about controlling your thoughts, I can't. I can't do it. The thought of it fills me with fear. So I'm not even going to think about this but I give you permission to bring me to the place that I can. And he's doing that for me. He's doing it for me. I marvel. I don't know how he gets us there. I don't understand, but he does it. As long as we continue to draw closer to him, how often? Daily. He is working in us. He is working in us. Look at this next quote, Desire of Ages. I love this quote. Page 302. Remember the illustration of the flashlight? Here it is. If the eye is kept fixed on Christ, the work of the Spirit ceases not until the soul is conformed into his image. Can you say amen to that? Yeah. Now, if you're the devil, what's your plan? Get him focused on all kinds of good things. You don't have to even get him focused on bad things. Just get him focused on good things. Just as long as it's not with Jesus. That's the key. And the reality is that God is going to do this in one generation. There is going to be a generation that's going to be perfected and ready for the coming of Jesus. And I believe that that generation is walking on the face of the earth right now. Why do I say that? If you do some research on, uh, on what took place, in 1888, we all know that the message of righteousness by faith was given to the church, and the leadership in their ignorance rejected it. Okay? Ignorance and hard-heartedness. And uh, we don't judge them because we're cut from the same cloth. Amen? You bet. And, um, <clears throat> and by the way, those same leaders later, uh, mo just about all of them, there was a few that didn't, recanted and accepted the message, but the damage was already done and the impact on the congregation uh, of, the, of the church. But in any case, it's very interesting that if you do some research, you'll find that E.J. Uh, e. Wagner, when he began to understand, when it dawned on him, uh, the message of righteous by faith, uh, and he began to teach it, Look at what was happening in the world. Sunday law began to be agitated. The U.S. economy began to have problems. Is this? It's very interesting. There's a website out there. If you have time to look at it, it's very interesting. It's, it's called Mark of Beast, not Mark of the, uh-uh, markofbeast.net, N-E-T, markofbeast.net. What this guy is doing is he's kind of tracking Sunday laws around the world. Uh, the last two and a half years, he gives you the month and the year, and he re re shows you articles and events that are taking place around the world, and he's bringing you right up to date on what's happening. Uh, there's stuff that's going on, friends. We've got to be paying attention. Uh, but markofbeast.net, I encourage you, this, this person has to be a Seventh-day Adventist. 
amazing quotes. And when you go in, look for a little section that is entitled uh, Sunday Laws. Click on that. Uh, and, and you will see the articles. But I believe that this is going to be done in a generation, and I believe that generation is walking on the face of this earth. This issue is being generated by our people. It's being agitated. Our people are asking more and more about this thing called righteousness by faith. Number nine. This process involves our cooperation by examining ourselves in the light of God's word. 2 Corinthians 13.5 Examine yourselves as to whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not know yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you? Unless indeed you are disqualified. 1 Corinthians 11.31 and 32 For if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened by the Lord that we may not be condemned with the world. Aren't you glad when God, you know God only chastens those he loves. You ever been spanked for doing something you shouldn't be doing and you knew better and you did it anyway and so he had no choice but to spank you? Thank you, Jesus, for the spanking. You know what I found is that when I read the Bible and I see it in there and I ignore it, then God will bring somebody close to me to reiterate it. And if that doesn't work, then he's going to bring someone else until finally you're dealing with a public embarrassment. And if that doesn't work, what more can he do? God is trying to draw attention to save us. Number 10, every secret thing is brought out in the judgment, including our thoughts and motives. We've been through some of these. Let's hit it again quickly. For God will bring every work into judgment, including every secret thing. All the ways of man are pure in his own eyes. Isn't that true? But the Lord weighs the Spirit. Hebrews 4.12, for the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of what? Of the heart. You know that if you have a computer and it has a virus and you don't know it's there, does that mean it's not doing damage? The computer, you, the virus you don't know is there is the worst. And so you need a computer antivirus to tell you what you've got going on. And that's what the Lord is willing to do for us, to reveal to us what is there. Why? Because when Jesus returns, he is coming with all the angelic hosts. By the way, if you're stopped to think about that, that heaven is going to be empty. Everyone is coming to take us home. Nobody wants to be left out. And there's a day going to come when from horizon to horizon, the sky will be filled with radiant beings. And in the middle the Prince of Glory. And he's going to come in all his glory. And that glory, friends, is a consuming fire to sin. There can be no sin in us or he will destroy us. So he waits until we allow him to finish the work he has begun in us. He waits. Number 11. Even hereditary sins are considered in the judgment. Ezekiel 20, verse 4. Will you judge them, son of man? Will you judge them? then make known to them the abomination of what? Their fathers. You know how often we excuse our sin by blaming our parents? Heaven does not do that. It will not. Because each of us are free moral agents and we have the freedom to choose. So I cannot blame it. It always cracks me up, especially in the area of giving in to passion. Every, just about every culture has an excuse for that. But God doesn't have one. God wants us to govern our passions. And that's one of the fruit of the Spirit. Self-control. Number 12, 13. This is not to condemn us, but so that we may repent and what? 
and live. Ezekiel 18, 30-32, Therefore I will judge you, O house of Israel, everyone according to his ways, says the Lord God. Repent and turn from all your transgression, so that the iniquity will not be your ruin. Cast away from you all the transgressions which you have committed, and get yourself a new heart and a new spirit. For why should you die, O house of Israel? For I have no pleasure in the death of one who dies, says the Lord God. Therefore turn and live. And I shared with you that in the end, we are the ones that close probation on ourselves by refusing to respond to God. You see, it's kind of like ear infections. You know that the more ear infections a person gets, the, the membrane in the ear becomes calloused and it doesn't vibrate as well, and the person begins to lose hearing. And if when the Holy Spirit moves upon our hearts, we reject what he's saying, we're training our minds to reject that voice, and we're hardening ourselves. So what does God have to do? He has to come with stronger measures, and stronger measures to break through that hardening until we come to the place that we hear him no more. And then God says, they made their choice. Let's move on. Are you with me? The choice is not made by God. It's made by us for good or for evil. Let's take a look at 14. God's righteous judgments teach and train us so that we may share in his holiness and reap a harvest of righteousness and peace. Hebrews 12, 10, and 11. For they, are earthly dads, indeed for a few days, chasten us as seems best to them. But he, Christ, for our benefit, that we may be partakers of his holiness. Now, no chastisement seems to be joyful for the present, but painful nevertheless. Afterward, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been what? Trained by it. You know, all my life, I tried to avoid pain. But I finally came to realize that it's one of the ways that God trains me and burns this stuff out of me. I am now learning through the tears to thank him for what he permits. You do realize that if it doesn't benefit us, he will not allow it. Only allows it if it benefits us. And by the way, I think this is kind of awesome. We do know that many will, will lay down their lives during the time of trouble. We know that. But once everyone has chosen, Ellen White reveals to us that not another saint will die. Why? because it won't do any good for anyone. He won't allow it. God only allows something if it will work a greater good. 15, the end result of this work will be the cleansing of the conscience from all sinful principles and through the mighty agency of the Holy Spirit writing upon the mind the principles of God's law as it is promised under the provision of the new covenant. 2 Peter 1, 2-4 Grace and peace be, be, be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God, very interesting, and Jesus our Lord, according as his divine power has given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness, through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious, what? promises that by these ye may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. God gives to us, when we ask Jesus into our lives, the divine nature with its power comes to the transforming power. I want you to understand something. Did Adam and Eve have an unfallen nature? Yes. But they chose to lose their connection with God by disobeying him. And even with an unfallen nature, they fell. 
they fell. Now what I'm going to share with you is going to upset some. I'm sorry, I'm going to ask you to study this. Jesus was born with his mother's nature and his father's. Jesus had the fallen nature of Mary, but he never gave in to sin. He was not sinful because he was sustained by his father's nature. In other words, Jesus was born, born again. We're not like Jesus when we're born into this world because we have one birth. But when we ask him into our lives, now the playing field is level. Now we have access to what he had access to. Are you real? Jesus is the evidence that this can be done. Jesus did nothing of himself. Everything he did was through the power of his Father. Jesus had access to nothing that you and I do not have access to. And the devil does not want you to know this. If you want to flesh this out, I want to encourage you to get your pencils and paper ready. Look for a book that is entitled Christ Our Righteousness by, w, by J. W. Lehman. There's a chapter in there, 21, that is entitled The God-Man. He has a most gracious explanation. He takes both sides of the argument and then he melts them. Can, can we do it afterwards? My brother right here will be able to help you with that. He has the books. If you want that book, he's got the books. That is the best explanation of the nature of Christ I have ever seen. The absolute best. The author is J.W. Lehman. L-E-H-M-A-N. L-E-H-M-A-N. Christ is the evidence that this can be done in the life. That as the Holy Spirit sustained him, he will sustain you and I. Our biggest problem is that we're ignorant to what God is offering us and how to cooperate with him. And we got to move beyond that because the Bible says my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. This is going to be the consuming study of those who are getting ready for the second coming of Jesus. Now watch this next quote. The creative energy that called the worlds into existence is in the word of God. Now stop. Can you, can you, I mean, did you just hear that? When you look at the universe, the power, look, you get an atom and you split it, and what happens? There's, is there power in one? You look at the universe, the power that created all of that is found in here. And as we spend time, the one who created will recreate in us. How do you do that? I don't know. I don't know how you bring light out of darkness either. And I don't know how you create something out of nothing, but he did it. We're living on the planet and we're seeing light. Every Sabbath is a reminder to us that God can do this. Every Sabbath is a reminder for us to think about the creator. That he who created can recreate. The power that did that out there can do that in here. He can bring light out of the darkness of my life and create in me righteousness where there is none. Amen. Does that make sense? Praise the Lord. Let's read that again. The creative energy that called the worlds into existence is in the word of God. This word imparts power. It begets what? Life. Every command is a is that not awesome? Accepted by the will, received into the soul. It brings with it, this is, this is an incredible statement, the life of the infinite one. It transforms the nature and recreates the soul into the image of God.
focus must be on Him and not on us. Let's take a look at some of those promises. Hebrews 9.14, how much more shall the blood of Christ through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Philippians 1.6, I had to throw it in there again. For of this I am confident, that he who began a good work within you will go on to perfect it in preparation for the day of Jesus Christ. Only don't give up on Jesus. Keep going to Jesus. You fall on your face, get up. Ellen White says that when we fall, we're going up, and you're going uphill, you fall forward. And look at Jude 24. This is amazing. Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy to the only wise God our Savior be glory and majesty, dominion and power both now and forever now more. You know, in, in, in Watchdog Hills, we sing this song. We, we have a scripture song to this. It's beautiful. I love it. Number 16, what does the life look like when God's law is written in the heart? But the fruit of the Spirit is love. And everything that follows, by the way, is a description of love. Joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. It looks like Jesus. 17, what will be the final result of Christ's judgment work in his end-time saints? Now, I'm going to pick a favorite of Adventists, Revelation 14, 12. Here is the patience of the saints. Here are they that keep the commandments of God and have the faith of Jesus. Well, pastor, does not describe us now? If it did, we wouldn't be here. We wouldn't be here. And you know, in the very beginning, Satan said that God could not be obeyed. There's going to be a generation at the end that vindicates God. And, 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 and I can just see the unveiling before the universe. Here are they. Here are they. 18, we're going to end with a warning. Great, uh, great Controversy 491. Watch ye therefore, lest coming suddenly he find you sleeping. Perilous is the condition of those who, growing weary of their watch, turn to the attractions of the world. While the man of business is absorbed in the pursuit of gain, while the pleasure lover is seeking indulgence, while the daughter of fashion is arranging her adornments, it may be in that hour that the judge of all the earth will pronounce the sentence that are weighed in the balance and are found wanting. The devil's job is to distract us from this reality, and ours is to pursue it, as though our life depended on it, because it does. It does. I think it's awesome, the thought, that all of heaven has its attention focused on the speck of insignificant dust in the universe. That he came here to die to redeem us. That the angels are deployed to help us. Ellen White gives this picture of those who are struggling to follow Jesus. And the prince of darkness, by the way, the most effective weapon against a sincere follower of Christ is discouragement. She says it brings us, it, it causes us to lose the love of the truth. But the imagery to me is amazing. She says that as Satan closes in on them with their darkness, that angels are deployed to surround them and with their wings waft the darkness away. We're not alone in this battle, friends. We're not. God is good. I'd like to close out with a word of prayer. I understand there are some that want to ask questions. I, I want to say that my understanding, what I've shared with you, is pretty well exhausted. 
Um, I am continuing to study, and there's more that I'm learning. And, and, and what I'm finding now, where my attention, I think my new passion is going to be the cross. It's very interesting. Um, I, I want to understand more fully what happened there, because evidently, um, what took place there broke the power of Lucifer in the universe. They were satisfied. And it's going to have the same effect upon us. It is. Let's close with a word of prayer. Father, for a few moments, you have shut us in to the secret place of the Most High. We have been studying the third angel's message, the three angels' message, the message of righteousness by faith. It is this message that must go throughout all the world. And as we begin obediently to do this, and as we submit to it, Father, and allow you to finish this work in our lives, as we settle into the truth, Father, which is the sealing process, it is there, Father, that you will meet that movement with the latter rain power as the early rain, which is character development, brings the work in our life to perfection. Father, I pray to you that may each year have a deeper understanding now of what you're calling them to. But may they look away to self. It's, it's dead end there. There is no hope there. May they look to Jesus and keep their eyes fixed there. And when, Father, for whatever reason, we lose our focus and blunder, may we never forget that we have an advocate in heaven who is ready to minister his blood on our behalf, who will not leave until he has finished the work he's begun in us. But Lord, in the meanwhile, let us not grow careless because that waiting is causing you excruciating, agonizing pain. Thank you for your love and your tender mercies. I pray, Lord, that everything said here, may, may only your words and thoughts have been heard. And if anything I have said, Lord, has not lined up with your will, may that, Father, have not been heard by any year. Thank you for your loving kindness, your tender mercies. And we ask this all in the name of Jesus, who has made this all possible for us. Amen and amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.